Okay, it's time for a quiz. If you already know the answer, shh. As an homage to Alex Trebek, I'll do the quiz Jeopardy style. The answer is the single most important indicator of a healthy nonprofit. Wait, what did I hear you say? What is a healthy reserve? No. What is a rock star executive director? No, I'm sorry, that's not the correct answer. The correct answer is, in the form of a question, what is the relationship between the board chair and the executive director? Why do you say that, Joan? Well, I believe that a good partnership at the top of the organization will help you get things right from the start. And I believe that will enable you to more effectively solve crises, untangle knots, should you find them along the way. And this is why I don't care for the hierarchical org chart to illustrate how a nonprofit operates. I'm a big fan of the twin engine jet model where there's a board engine and a staff engine and they work together to create a smooth ride to the destination, the mission, the vision. In the cockpit, the board chair and the executive director. Okay, Joan, that makes sense. But do you live in the real world? I'm lucky if I can get anyone to agree to stand for election. Come on. Do you have any evidence to suggest that there's a terrific, healthy partnership in any nonprofit cockpit? Well, it just so happens I do. Get ready to meet Exhibit A and Exhibit B, board chair and executive director partners, like for real. I've spent time with these two folks, and they get a lot of things right. Very specific things. You will want to take notes, and you will want what they are having. Greetings, and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at JoanGary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Two guests today. First, an executive director. Carlos de la Rosa is an ecologist and a conservationist with leadership experience in environmental nonprofit and government organizations in the United States, Central, and South America. He has authored several books on environmental, conservation, and natural history topics. He has been the executive director at the Lindsay Wildlife Experience since July of 2019. Roseanne Sino is the board chair at the Lindsay Wildlife Experience. She was among the founders of Netscape in the 1990s, and after a long career in high-tech marketing, Roseanne received a doctorate in management science and engineering from Stanford, where she's been a lecturer and researcher since 2007. She teaches undergrad and grad classes in branding, leadership, and organizational dynamics, and consults with technology companies, startups, and nonprofits on effective teamwork, management, and messaging. And in her not-so-spare time, she has a long and extensive history of board service, particularly in positions of leadership. Carlos and Roseanne, it's very nice to have you with us and to um, be able to pick your brains about this partnership thing. Welcome. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, yes. 
So Roseanne, I'd actually like to start with you. You returned to this organization. You'd been on the board and then you, um, I guess, termed off. And um, they brought you back for an encore performance at a time of inflection in the organization. So can you just tell me they brought you back? Did they bring you back specifically because there was an ED search? No, not at the time. Um, We had just gone through, I had, while I was termed off, they kept me close by um, having me lead a strategic planning process where I did, um, I conducted uh, about 50 interviews with all of, you know, a bunch of key constituents for the organization in order to draw up uh, a plan of based on themes of what was going right and what was going not so right at the Lindsay. Um, so the board then used that to, to come up with a plan, a five-year sort of a strategic initiatives plan. Um, after that happened, uh, later that year, uh, there was a term off of the, of the current president. And the question became, well, shoot, who's going to be able to lead the organization while we've got this new strategic plan coming on? And that was when they approached me and said, hey, would you like to come back on the board? And oh, by the way, could you be president? Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm a sport. So I said, sure. I mean, how much are you paying? So I, I went for it. Um, and it was only after that that there were, uh, we ended up um, having a change in leadership where our uh, previous executive director uh, didn't stay. Um, I think that was actually a good move for the organization in a sense, because I think um, the strategic plan was taking us in a different direction. And mm. I believe that that allowed us to then think, okay, who is the right leader for this next phase? So I want you to be the best board ambassador you can be and give listeners the elevator pitch for the Lindsay Wildlife Experience. Well, Lindsay Wildlife Experience is one of the first and certainly the largest um, wildlife rehabilitation center uh, in the United States. And it's also one of the leading uh, educational facilities for bringing um, an awareness of living with wildlife to the public. Um, So do me a favor now. Tell me a story that makes me want to give money to the Lindsay Wildlife Experience because, you know, we have a platform here. Might as well. Or should we actually, you know what? Let's wait and have Carlos do that, shall we? All right, all right. Um, So um, when, um, so you have this inflection point, you've got a leadership transition. Um, Was it very clear at the beginning that you were going to use a search firm or did you um, uh, not, like what was, how did you make the decision about the whole search firm thing? Lindsay Wildlife had been through um, a few uh, executive directors in the time that I had been involved with the organization, which was for the past, you know, uh, 11, 12 years at this point. Um, And part of what was clear was (laughs) we really needed the right person. I think too often boards just hire. And this was one of those times when I insisted we shouldn't just hire. Right. That this was really something where we needed to find the right person if this organization was going to get serious about our mission and about growing. And um, that was what I pushed for with our um, executive committee. And then we took that to the board. And I have to tell you, Joan, it wasn't that it wasn't that hard of a sell. Mm-hmm. I was actually shocked that most people felt 
like that was the right thing to do. But not only that, that we would also want to use the best search firm we could find as opposed to just any search firm. The search was a success and Carlos was hired. I interviewed a search consultant last week and we talked about the pros and cons of search and search committees. And it, um, it feels like I just want to ask you the question. Do you have a piece of advice about running a good search? I would say clarity is the big one. I, I think that we spent a lot of time up front uh, alone and then also with the, the folks who were going to do our search talking about exactly what we wanted. Uh-huh. I mean, exactly being sort of a funny word, right, when you're doing a search. But we knew in general what, um, what we had told people in the past when we had done two previous searches uh, during my tenure. Um, and we thought, you know what, something isn't, you know, isn't working if we're not getting to uh, a person who can really lead us into the future. So we were really thinking like, what is it we're looking for? What are the key things? And I think spending that time really getting as precise as we could about what had worked in the past and what hadn't worked. um, And, uh, you know, and and clarifying those values we were looking for and the kinds of uh, uh, expertise we were really looking for in this new person was, was key. Good. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Um, I often joke around that search committees spend the first three months of any search creating a job description when when all they really need to do is write on one single piece of paper, Messiah wanted. And while that is emphatic, it's not necessarily very clear. <laughs> so enter Carlos. Um So Carlos had, as you have described, Roseanne, the skills, the attributes, and the experience that you were looking for. Carlos, a question about your interview process before we get into building this Mm -hmm. partnership. You clearly needed to know that the fit was just right, that the organization was strong enough to support your ability to be successful. I'm curious about what you learned about this prospective board and how it informed your decision making. The, my research that I did for Lindsay for this applying for before applying for the position was really key for me to make that decision. Uh, I was very fortunate to and and happy to see that uh, they have uh, shared that they were very transparent on their leadership and the information. You could go into their website and uh, see and read about the background of every board member and every leader in the organization, which was essential for me to understand what what is the team that I would be working with. And uh, so every board member had his picture and and, uh, had the the description of uh, what brought him to Lindsay, and that was really useful for me to to get a sense of of what the team was going to look like. Um, also, uh, I did something that, uh, I have done before. I had just returned from Costa Rica from a long stint working in the, in the tropics and I had worked in California before, so, but I was not familiar with this area. So I came in before the in-person interview, um, a day early and visited Lindsay as a tourist. And then I bought my ticket and my wife came with me and she went shopping. And, and uh, I, I just wanted to get that sense of what is the environment that this work is, uh, what, how are the people, how, 
how is it that I feels to be part of this work, this effort? So I did a lot of research because I see that the, it, an interview for a job at this level and with so much responsibility is a dual interview. Not just the organization is trying to find the right leadership, the right person to be the face and the voice of the organization, but also I want to make sure that I'm interviewing them and finding out that we're going to be able to work together and that uh, we have the chemistry. And I'm going to use that word a couple more times in this uh, conversation because chemistry is something that you cannot necessarily put into words in in an interview. You have the questions and you have all of these formal processes, but the chemistry needs to be there. And it's something almost intangible that you feel. And I had that feeling uh, when I came here. Uh, the day of the interview, I walked from the hotel. It was about a mile and a quarter from here. And I was wearing my jeans and my, and, and I didn't want to sweat in my interview clothes, right? So I had my interview clothes in the little bag. And I went to a deli about a block away from Lindsay to have lunch. And as I'm sitting there starting to eat my sandwich, here comes Roseanne with a board member and Tatis, little, her little dog that accompanies her everywhere to the deli to have lunch as well. So I just waited till they come back and they came and they were starting to sit down in a table right next to me. And I said like, well, I guess I'm in the right place because this is where the leadership comes to have lunch. Uh-huh. And were, the response at that moment was, oh my God, what a great thing. And they sat down and we start this very friendly, very fun conversation over lunch. And uh, I was getting all of the right signals that, that this is going to be a fun interview and a fun people to work with. Um, when it came the moment of, uh, you know, I was getting close to the time of the interview, I excused myself saying, I, I need to go and change. I put on my, you know, my interview clothes to my jacket and slack. And Roseanne's response is like, no, you're just fine like that. You don't worry about it. You know, let's just keep talking. And then we walk together to the interview. So I went into my executive director interview with the board members and the leaders of the organization wearing jeans and my regular shirt. And uh, that to me set the tone of the organization. And I, I felt so comfortable there. And uh, the, even, even Tatis, the little dog, came into me at the middle of an interview, scratching my leg and licked my hand. And he said like, well, this is it. I mean, I'm getting interviewed even by the mascot of the organization. <laughs> Uh, so that chemistry, that feeling that, that you're among people that you can talk to and you can be very open was really important part for me for the interview. Um, you should have heard what my dog said about you, though, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> um, Give me the right signals. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, dog whispering was not part of the qualifications <laughs> of the uh, the job description, Rosette? Of course it was. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I, I this is a really good point for those of you who are listening. Um, I've I've heard this a bunch of times of uh, prospective CEOs and executive directors applying for jobs who do their homework on the board leadership, and they say they say things like, "I want to work there because of that person." Like I know that, like I've heard such good things about that person that I believe I can be successful because I'm going to need to build that partnership and that chemistry with that person. I've heard the opposite as well. So um, uh, the board is not holding all the cards and you've got to be, you've got to be strong and healthy and have really good solid leadership in order to, um, you can, you can bring somebody to like Carlos 
into the candidate pool, but if you want them to actually come and work with you, um, you've got to, you've got to be kind of be on your best behavior too. Um, so Carlos, you understood, it sounds like that your relationship with Roseanne would be pivotal to your success. So let's talk, I want to hear from both of you about how you began to build and cultivate this relationship, understanding how critical it was to success. So Carlos, let's start with you and then go to Roseanne. How did you build the relationship? Uh, Well, like any relationship, it it starts with getting to know each other. And uh, we met very frequently from the beginning. And we still, now that we're in the COVID times, we even meet more frequently because uh, getting to know the person that you're going to bounce ideas and, uh, and, uh, you know, make big decisions that affect a lot of people and the future of organization requires a lot of trust, a lot of respect for ideas and the ability to communicate effectively with that person. So, and getting to know Roseanne was uh, actually a lot of fun because we had a lot of things in common, even though we come from very different backgrounds. And uh, but we we share in common the love for the organization, the love for for the mission, what it represents. For me, this organization was the the culmination of a, a lot of experiences. I call them my Batman's belt of experiences. Every little pocket had one experience as a scientist and researcher, which I did for many years, as an educator, both in academia and as well as in informal education, conservation, and, and so on. Even the working with animals directly supervising veterinarians and so on. So for me, this was the the place where all of this came together. And and in order to share that, you have to have somebody like Roseanne that is willing to listen a lot, to, to share her own experiences and what brought it to here so we could find the areas of common ground and the things that we share. But what I found out is with Roseanne, we share a lot of things and we have a lot of fun having conversations. As a matter of fact, we have to kind of tone ourselves down because we get, we wind each other up when we're talking about the future of the organization and ideas and so on. And and that's been the, perhaps one of the most rewarding things for me in the organization. And what, a, we, that's, what a lovely thing to hear an executive director say about a board chair. Um, Roseanne, I remember in a conversation you and I had that this sort of getting to know you uh, component was an intentional investment of time and that there was also something about personal values you felt were important to sort of share with one another. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I I think, um, you know, Carlos uses the word chemistry, and I think that's an important one to come back to. But part of chemistry, I think, is a sense of a, a shared platform and a platform meaning this idea of we do share values. Um, and at least the values have to be, you know, something related to what we're going to be doing together, which is, you know, in this case, uh, you know, uh, really valuing ecological education, really valuing uh, both um, animals and people in this kind of environment. Um, and I, 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 there's lots of them I can go on about, but I think what I want to say is that the, that if you're not sharing the basic values, I think, um, that you're working from, it's a little hard to then find ways to work together because we're, we're sort of a, uh, it's, it's like speaking a different language in a sense. And I, I, I did feel like part of what made Carlos and my relationship work very easily from the beginning is that we do start from common ground on those personal values. I, I also just think you made time to know that. 
I, I, I can't. If you are not taking notes and you are listening, you need to pull over to the side of the road or you need to get off your elliptical and talk and, and write down, I must invest up front in my relationship with my co-pilot, right? Because if you, if you say to yourself, that's a really good idea and I'm so glad the two of them had the time for it, but I sure as hell don't, trust me, it is an investment of time that will pay dividends. Um, so when you first got started, uh, Rosanna, I'll start with you on this question. Did you, the two of you set kind of goals or kind of a 90-day plan? I, I sort of want to get at how you established your authority and introduced some accountability. Like how did you approach that piece of your role as the board chair? Well, I would say that, you know, that kind of, uh, in some sense, that discussion started before we hired Carlos. We were in um, some pretty financially sketchy territory uh, when um, Carlos was coming on. Good for him. Well, um, I, I was actually just going to say, if, if you, uh, so if the profile is we've gone through a number of executive directors, it's not a very tough putt to go to um, the finances weren't exactly solid. Well, it's funny you say that, Joan. We've, we have a, a decent, um, I'm not going to use the word endowment because it's not an endowment, as I've been told by my finance uh, uh guy numerous times, but, um, we did have money in the bank. Um, and we, it wasn't that so much as on a solid, we weren't on a solid footing year to year. Yeah. We were running a deficit. Okay. And we were continually being bailed out by money that we didn't anticipate coming from somebody who died. (laughs) Not a great plan. Um, and so part of what was, you know, imperative, uh, for me and certainly for the rest of the board was we've got to stop running a deficit, but it can't be based. And I'd been harping on this for years and probably why they want, we're glad I timed off. I'm not sure why they came back for me, but I kept harping on the fact that there's only two ways to balance a budget. One is you can keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting, or you can raise the top line. Imagine that. So um, I really wanted to find somebody who would help us raise that top line and do more, not less. So, um, so we had sort of been harping on that with Carlos before we hired him. And it was part of even, I think the letter we provided to him was to say, look, one of the, the key goals is going to be working on this problem of thinking bigger and, um, you know, raising more money, finding ways to, to get this budget into such a place that we could do more. So that was something I, I feel like we sort of came we came at our conversations from that point from day one. And basically uh, he and I had talked about, he's going to need time to get up to speed. He wanted to have a few months definitely to just get to know what the heck we were doing. So I wasn't looking at the first 90 days as you better bring in a million bucks, buddy, or you're out. But we definitely were trying to, to give him a lot of time to, to get to know the organization, but also keep the, 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 eye on what is it we're going to be doing differently as we go beyond that point. Well, and, and, um, 
This notion of coming at the work from a place of abundance rather than scarcity is so, so important. And then, and I, hats off to you for, for getting the board to a place where it thought about it that way, because boards have a tendency to be risk averse, right? They tend to go to cutting, rev, to cutting expenses. Some of that is, uh, you know, a- anxiety. Some of that is actually, frankly, about, oh, well, if we have to raise more money, that, that might put, that might put a little bit more of a burden on my shoulders to go and identify connections and invite people to know more and do more about Lindsay, right? So to be able to shift that dynamic, um, it actually requires strong leadership and a picture, which it sounds like the strategy did, a picture of where you wanted to go that was exciting enough to make people say, well, if we cut those expenses, are are we going to be able to get there? Because I really want to go there. I think part of what is interesting with nonprofits is that you get people who are very excited about the mission, but then, you know, again, it, it, it gets scary when you have to actually do the work to get there. And I do think um, coming from this place of, uh, of what lovers do I as a board member have, it gets, it, it's so much easier just to say, let's cut staff or let's cut programs than to say, I have to go do something else. You know, I have to imagine something else. I have to go raise more money. I have to do something different. So I agree. Um, Carlos, did you you talk about what you believed you needed from the board to be successful? Um, And did you talk to just Roseanne about that or the whole board? And what kinds of things did you... Because what what kinds of things did you um, identify that you needed from them? Well... There's just so much that you can learn about an organization by looking at their website and having an interview. So there was going to be, and I understood this clearly, a period of, of learning uh, where I had to just dig into the history of the organization, the culture of the organization, and identify some of the things that were hinted in, during the interview and the conversations in there. And because this was a two-way interview, I, I asked some questions uh, that uh, were uncomfortable as well. And one of them is like, uh, uh, what was, do any of you like to ask your friends for money? <laughs> and that, so the reaction that you get to, from board members uh, to a question like that, it's like, oh my God. And you see people just going back. Well, my point on asking that question is because it, I feel it's an essential part of the leadership of an organization that is a nonprofit organization that depends strongly, if not, not wholly, but strongly on the ability to fundraise. And if that's not part of the culture of the organization, then that's an issue that we have to work on. And they hired Uh, you even though you asked them that question? Well, I didn't just leave it at that. I just said, uh, I I went a little further. And this was the, 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 what convinced me that this organization could be the right organization for me. Because I promised them that uh, after, if I was to be the director, that I was going to work and help them understand and have fun uh, actually telling the stories organization. We would articulate a story so compelling that you will not be able to wait to share it with your network, with your friends and your colleagues. Because at the at the bottom of uh, this volunteer work that and the paid work that we do in nonprofit organizations is the stories behind it and what emotionally and intellectually ties us to that organization. 
So that was my promise. We're going to help you tell the stories so you can't wait to tell them to your friends. That's fantastic. And I'm sure that that uh, as a communications professional in your DNA, Roseanne, that must have like sung out to you. It did. And it scared a lot of my board members. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I think, I mean, I, I think that is, uh, I, I feel like it was okay. I mean, you know, I think um, people just, again, you know, hadn't had the experience of, of being involved in fundraising, unfortunately, at Lindsay and, and felt that it was, you know, the development uh, director's problem. And that had been something, you know, it's, it, as you well know, Joan, it's a, it's a long uh, road to get people to think differently. And so I think, I think Carlos was able to get people excited. Um, his excitement, you know, is definitely infectious. And I do believe that it made people overlook the fact that we were just about to hire somebody who was going to make them work. <laughs> um, inherent in what Carlos said is you're going to have to work and I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to be successful. And that's actually, I often talk about the fact that board members often are recruited and they don't exactly know what success looks like and that executive directors don't often do good enough job at articulating what success looks like. Because board members who join, people who join boards are accustomed to being pretty successful. As long as you tell them what it is and you make sure that they have what they need to do that, they're probably going to do that. So I, I, I think it's great. I, I, you had not told me that story. I thought that was, that was awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about this board. I know that, Roseanne, before, if I'm remembering the story right, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, that you came in and did some board transformation work prior to Carlos. Tell me a little bit about what, you, what your goals were then and then how the two of you work together, are working together to continue that work. Part of what um, was true is that some people had been on our board forever. And when I say forever, I'm not kidding. Well, not quite as forever, 65 years as her are, but, but, you know, but we had, we, you know, we've been around a long time and some people had served on the board for over 20 years. And that is just a bad, 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 bad practice. And it, it not because they were bad people, they were awesome people. And we've been trying to keep them close in various other ways, but, you know, you just start thinking about the organization as it was decades ago versus what was true today. And that had been a huge problem for Lindsay. How do you move forward when people are cemented in, you know, the 1980s or, you know, whatever year it was that they came in, into the picture. So we decided to um, get serious about um, enforcing the, uh, the term limits. We decided to get serious about bringing in, uh, a, a more diverse set of people. Um, we still have a long way to go there. So don't, um, don't, don't hold me to that one yet. But, you know, we just basically said, this is time for, you know, if we're going to transform the organization, we have to transform the board. So we are, I would say in, in the process, we started it before Carlos was, was hired for sure. And, um, hopefully we'll do even more. And, um, this I think would be a useful thing is, um, 
what role do each of you play in that? So, uh, you know, sort of what's the ideal board for Lindsay and how do you identify priorities and how do you get an alignment about that? That's a big conversation in the cockpit of the nonprofit twin engine jet. There's some you know, I'll, I'll talk to clients who get shut, who, EDs who get boxed out of board recruitment, right? Then I've then I've got um, I've got clients where the ED has free reign to just pack the board up with you know people that are supposedly in alignment, and maybe they are, and maybe they're not. Like, how did you all get on the same page about that? About and, and how did you determine? This is one of those gray areas, um, and and. You know, people like Carlos, you and Roseanne are type A people and sort of the this is my decision and this is your decision is very appealing. But this is a gray one. So how did you navigate that, Carlos? Well, I, I think we had a tool that, that we both agreed on that was uh, that was important. And, uh, and, and that tool was an assessment of the capacities we had on the board. And uh, we started with a draft that uh, that uh, we put together. I, I basically a little spreadsheet. These are the people that we have, and these are the capacities that we want on the board and the columns. And we wanted things like uh, you know experience in in finance and banking and things like that. Yeah, and then we check the marks, the little boxes. We want experience in education. Yeah, we got a couple of educators here. We wanted people with uh, money, not necessarily to give us money, but that connect us to the world and the idiosyncrasies of wealth. And um, yeah, then, then we start identifying gaps. Yep. Uh, and, and that became institutionalized. The governing board now is working on that as a platform and a template to create the board that meets the needs of the organization to the best, uh, the best way possible. And my role in there has been dual. One is in help define what the needs of the organization are as we got into the detail and and the granular level of what is this organization about. Because it's a very diverse organization. You already heard wildlife hospital, rehabilitation center, museum, and education center, and uh, and, um, uh, also a zoo. We have living animals in here. So that diversity of of, uh, activities require also an umbrella. And we decided early on that, okay, the umbrella is is a science-based conservation organization. Right. Now that we know that, who do we need to be he- here? So we need people that have that background, that are scientists or veterinarians or, or conservation uh, experts. And uh, so I'm, that's my field where I came from. So I've been able to give some suggestions about that and participate in the helping well, strengthen. It also seems like, Carlos, that that Batman tool belt you have like you, you have, you've been swimming in a lot of different adjacent ponds that have enabled you to potentially uh, be connected to some of the places where there are gaps. Yeah. And I also, I'm, I'm, I'm a board member myself on other organizations. So I have been able to experience the other side, Roseanne's side. And I can, uh, uh, by having those experiences and seeing the weaknesses as well as the strengths of certain things, then we can talk the same language and we can help each other because she's also been an executive director. So that, that uh, shared experiences have made it uh, very productive, I think, in being able to move forward in building the strong 
numbers for that we can that might be a them. that might be a hidden little jewel in this podcast the fact that each of you have stood in the shoes of the other and mm-hmm. um there's got to be some real b- value there um, Roseanne anything you wanted to add around board building to what Carlos said and sort of who decides well I, I guess I would just say that I think it has to be both of us and I think we you know, I think the board um, obviously needs to have a strong governance com- component that's out looking for folks. But I do want to make sure that as we do that, we have to be thinking about, again, what is it we're trying to build? And yeah. the person who's in charge of the building is is Carlos. <laughs> and so there is a way where I, I don't want to bring on board members that, you know, seem like, oh, great, you know, now that we're, you know, they're not in line with what we're even trying to do here. Um, it's nice to have dissenting voices, but it's not nice to have people who aren't, you know, um, again, on board with the mission. So, um, yeah, we've been trying to keep, make sure that um, we're working both sides, you know, yeah. that Carlos is involved, that we're involved. Um, yeah, I think that's right. During COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. As the founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits, I have the privilege of hearing the stories of the remarkable work being done every single day by an amazing group of kind and generous leaders around the globe. I want you to hear their stories too, uplifting and inspiring. Now there's something we could use a whole lot more of, right? And that's why I want to introduce you to the Leadership Lab's own podcast, Your Nonprofit Life. In each episode, our lab's director of member experience, Laura Zelke, interviews a leader of a small nonprofit, offering you the opportunity to hear about their unique path into the sector, learn about the important work they're doing, and be inspired by their passion and determination to change the world in ways large and small. Sample this dose of hope at yournonprofitlife.com, or you can find it on your favorite podcast app. We're having a conversation uh, today about the relationship between the board chair and the executive director, uh, and it is about creating an intentional partnership that enables these two roles to lead together. And for those of you who feel like that's just some kind of aspirational thing that I talk about, um, it is an aspirational thing that I talk about, and it does come to life. And today it's coming to life with Carlos De La Rosa and Roseanne Sino, who are the executive director and board chair, respectively, of the Lindsay Wildlife Experience um, in uh, the Bay Area, Oakland. Am I, do I have the, no, I don't have it right. It's it's further away than that, isn't it? It is in the San Francisco Bay Area, but it is out in uh, Walnut Creek, California. Walnut Creek, California. Yes, pay no attention to the host. Um, <laughs> um, no one does. <laughs> so, um, I want to talk a little bit about how you communicate. 
right? So you had this time up front and there's a lot of moving pieces. And, and I, and I will want to spend just a couple of minutes at the end talking about the pandemic and its impact, because I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned about all nonprofits uh, and yours. Um, But how do you, how do you meet? Are there formal meetings? Are there agendas? Like, how does that work? How do you, how do you all make that work? Uh, Let's start with you, Roseanne. I would have to say that we, you know, we started sort of more formally, I don't know about agendas. I, I, I don't think we've ever done an agenda per se. We might have some ideas of what we're going to talk about, but I think we started more formally in terms of like trying to set up a schedule. Um, but I would say a lot of the conversations I've had with Carlos that have been most productive have been sort of more spontaneous. Huh. I don't know what he'll say about that, but I mean, we have our regular meetings, but I, I do feel like sometimes things come up and we end up getting into a conversation and um, and sometimes that those are the most generative times because we're not so locked into, uh, you know, oh, how is this going and this going and this going? Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to hear what, what Carlos has to say now that I'm saying that, but I do feel like sometimes um, it is nice to have some time where, especially given where we are, where we're trying to reinvent something here and to reinvent if we're sticking to a, a schedule or to a, an agenda, we may not get to the creative part of what we need to be talking about. So a mix of those two. Yeah, so I, I want to hear from Carlos too. I, I, I generally think that that's, that's usually not a good idea, what you've just described, because it can... Uh, you can forget to talk about something because you don't have an agenda. And that thing that is, and what ends up, I mean, I have, I have more than a few clients who cobble together an agenda, you know, an hour before the meeting. And the only thing that goes on that list is what's top of mind, um, as opposed to sort of riding through the varying categories um, or the priorities or what decisions I need you to help me make this week, Roseanne. So I tend to be much more of an advocate for structure. um, And I also tend to say that, you know, every couple of meetings should have a lack of structure and should be enable the the partners to think more creatively and more generatively. So uh, I'm even intentional about how to structure the time for generative thinking. So um, I just like that you have generative conversations. So Carlos, does the structure or lack thereof that Roseanne has just described, does that work for you? It, it does. It does work. But at the beginning, it didn't because at the beginning, we needed to create some priorities because here's here's the position of an executive director coming into an organization that is going through a transformation that has had some crisis um, ongoing, that has things, let's put it uh, not so nicely, things that are broken that need fixing. Yep. And that is going to take a lot of time of the executive director to First, identify what those things, and some of them come from the board and the conversations with Roseanne, and others come from simply listening to the staff and having those conversations, sharing with them before you can actually start to lead the organization into a different direction. But as a, so, we we did start, you know, working on how often does the board meet, what type of board report do you need. I did have my first ninety days document that. Uh, I worked diligently on, and then slowly you start realizing what, what is more important and less important in that formality. And you keep the things that are productive. The, yes, we do have agendas. At least we have lists of topics that we know are issues that we have to deal with. 
uh, and that doesn't count emergencies or things like that. Um, the, it, Roseanne had done with the board the heavy lifting of uh, redirecting the organization already. So we had strategic initiatives that then I had to internalize and then bounce back to the board and said, okay, I, I see what you did here. This is what I think is needed to implement them. And uh, so those were the first few months were a, a lot more structured than later. But having that time to, in a relaxed format, to discuss ideas and share backgrounds and, and, and things that I've done before and things that she's done before that, uh, that have worked are some of the most productive ones for have been for me because at first it uh, it keeps the energy level and the excitement high it allows me to know her better and know her expectations better so I can respond to those and uh, it has produced some some pretty transformational elements for the organization that have come from that like like the redefining who we are what is that umbrella the yeah. For people never thought we are a conservation organization. Yes, we are. And this is why we say that. The other thing that uh, happened in those conversations is the realization uh, that, no, we're not a small organization. Yeah. And which was a mindset that many of the former board members and other people that uh, work in the organization have. Oh, we're a little museum in Little Walnut Creek, and that's what we are. I saw much more than that. I saw this organization with an enormous potential. We needed to build that from the ground up. And it started uh, with a strong board foundation and proper processes with the leadership of the, of the, at the staff level, the silos that were created because of the diversity of what we did. And we talked a lot about those things. And, and together we came up with uh, ideas on how to break the silos, how to, how to bring the organization to reach this potential that was not even in the minds of, of the staff or the board that we could achieve. The, and, uh, uh, so I think it's a combination of the two things. The structure is important, but also the, the ability to be creative and have this informal conversations. That's where the jewels come out to the surface. I also want to just say that in conversations I've had with you, Carlos, the this umbrella that you describe is actually central it's, it's core, right? Is otherwise you are a list of things and right. You're a museum, you're uh, you know, an animal rehabilitation center, right? And if you can't find that common thread and be able to articulate it, then it's a list, right? And sort of what is all, what is all that, those lists of things in the service of? And in fact, it makes for, um, you need the thread for the storytelling because otherwise, I mean, one of, one of the big challenges people have when they have a variety of services is that when they do their storytelling or their pitches, they end up listing and you end up forgetting the first thing on the list. But if you say, this is what our organization is about, and because that's what it's about, we couldn't not be in these five spaces, right? And so I, I, I think that's um, this whole notion of who you actually are as an organization. People rely on their mission or they rely on their vision, but they actually don't talk about kind of their core identity. And I think that's what you're really talking about when you talk about this umbrella. Um, I, I have a couple of important questions before we, we run out of time, but the most important one I have is can each of you think about the benefit to the organization in terms of impact 
that this strong partnership offers, Lindsay, right? right? Can you articulate how this strong partnership benefits the organization and its impact? I, I don't care who goes first. And I will because I, I'm right and he's wrong. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I would just say that um, I've watched as um, I've seen board chairs and board um, and and executive directors not get along right. or not. I would say not be on the same page. Yep. And um, certainly in my time at Lindsay, I have seen that happen where there's a tension between the board chair board, you know, even maybe from the board and the ED. And that's, I mean, again, I don't know how you get things done in that regard. Then you're just in a wrestling match, it seems to me. Um, And that is something that I think, when I think about my relationship with Carlos, the fact that we did have shared values, that we had a shared understanding of what he was coming into, that we have been able to be, you know, in conversation on an ongoing basis about uh, what this organization is about. I mean, it just, it's like, it isn't like we're fighting each other on, on core issues. We might argue about how to do them or, you know, and have generative fights that way, but we don't, we aren't wrestling with each other about, you know, I want it done this way and you want it done that way. And this is what the mission is. No, that's what the mission is. I, I, I feel like that's what has been the magic here. Yeah. Um, uh, Carlos, how would you, how would you answer that question? How has the strong partnership benefited the organization and its impact? I think it was one of the most productive investments of my time was to build that relationship. And it's also one of my concerns. Can I build this relationship with the next board president? Because it will be a very different person, sure. But it would come from a pool of people that have already been working with us that should be fairly aligned by now that those first few months were, were critical and essential to be able to find a common direction. And I, I, I repeat it. Roseanne did the, the heavy lifting uh, before I came in to set a path for the organization by ushering the strategic initiatives and uh, the, 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 the framework of the organization. And I'm just adding detail and color to to those things. My my problem is that I get very ambitious and I want to go faster than sometimes the organization would allow you. We have to build some of our programs pretty much from the ground up, like mm-hmm. our development capacity. How do we raise money? Uh, it had to be built up. Uh, and, and we were very fortunate to find a wonderful director of development that has all the skill sets and all of the, the drive right before the pandemic hit. So she's been working from home all this time. Uh, but the, by the same token, we also have a business. We, we actually have a museum and we have a hospital and programs that people pay to do. So having a good entrepreneurial approach as well as good business practices are being important. All of these are, are foundational characteristics and skills for the organization. And the, the investment on those working with Roseanne and with the board in building those, as well as building the right staff um, uh, assembly to be able to do these things have been the best investment of this first year. Just realize I've been here only for a year and a half. So uh, we, we have moved very, very fast and in the middle of a pandemic as well, which I'm sure you want to know what, what changed when yeah. something like this. But before, uh, I, before I do that, I, I also, and I, I think that um, Roseanne's background in the tech startup world 
my background in startup in cable at MTV and Showtime, I've always believed that startup experience is actually really right for nonprofits because you're you're running fast, you're you're ambitious, you have a vision, you're usually under resourced. Um, it's mm-hmm. a very interesting. Yes. I've generally, the, I, I actually think it. You know, I think that people. Hi- I was hired at Glad because of my media experience, or that I was known to be a good manager. But the fact that I lived in a startup land, I think, was one of my superpowers in terms of understanding the gestalt of a nonprofit. Would you agree? With, I see your head shaking, but no one else does. I can't. I. It's that's Roseanne's head shaking because Carlos is like, what? No. Um. I. I. I really must have harped on this too uh, a million times before Carlos has heard this. But like, I think the scrappiness of a startup is exactly the right metaphor for what most nonprofits are about. Yeah, you're underfunded. You got to do things with, you know, you know, some chewing gum and a rubber band, and you just. You try things and you see what works. I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things that um, I, I like about where we are, you know, in my relationship with Carlos, because I do think Carlos kind of gets that. It's like, um, you know, we aren't um, we aren't Apple computer. Things aren't going to be perfect. You yes. know, it's, it's never going to be that. We're not funded that way. But we're going to do the darn best we can. We're going to be scrappy about it. We're going to get creative about it. And... Um, Yes, it is the right mentality. The, um, and you're going to, and, and oh, by the way, people are going to be doing like 15 different things with one hat on. Yes, totally. You know what I mean? Like they're going to wear 15 hats and, you know, whatever. There should be 20 people doing it and there's one. So and that's just how it is. So the last question I want to ask you, um, in addition to uh, making sure our listeners um, know more about where they can learn more about your organization is this creative, this creativity, this scrappiness, that is that is in your DNA, Roseanne, and I think it sounds like it's in Carlos's, is not in every nonprofit organization's DNA. And it is those organizations that really have been able, that see the value in Scrappy, that are willing to take a little bit of a, of a flyer, right, are willing to potentially have something not go that well, have really been the ones that have navigated the pandemic better than others. And so I I wanted to hear about how you've navigated the pandemic, at least briefly. And I'm guessing that the the startup mentality and the umbrella and the sort of all of those things, but I'd love to hear it because actually most of the stories about how people have um, done these remarkable and heroic things during the pandemic are, um, they're undertold. So, um, so, so a little bit about how the how the pandemic impacted you and how you've pivoted um, and where that leads you in 2021 as our sort of last question for the day. Carlos, let's start with you. If I can start on this one. It's uh, it, it hit us really pretty suddenly. Friday the 13th was a real thing for us, <laughs> the Friday the 13th of March, because that day is when we realized we have to close the doors to the 100,000 people a year that comes to visit Lindsay that supports our mission by participating in our programs, paying an entrance fee and and being the business part of our organization. And we lost that on in a moment. And uh, 
it, it also pushed us then to realize, well, okay, what, what do we have then to survive on here? We were very fortunate that we had built a little bit of a buffer for us financially for to be able to sustain us until we figure out how can we survive this because we didn't know how long this uh, shutdown and this pandemic was going to last. And, uh, and we still don't know today, but it's still going on. So it, it forced us to start thinking differently, yes. to, to reinvent what we did and see how we were going to <clears throat> navigate this new situation. But, but what I try to emphasize from, from day one is like, it's not about survival. We're not here just to survive a pandemic and then come out of the other end, you know, all, all hobbled and, and, and handicapped. We wanted to figure out how do we could thrive through this pandemic and see the opportunities that were opened by the fact that now we don't have 100,000 people coming through the door. Now we have more time. We have the ability to create new things, to look at things that we wanted to do. And now is the time to see if these are things that can sustain us later. And then start thinking two, three years down the road, what are we going to look like after the pandemic? is over. Are we going to look like we have to rebuild again from the ground up because we lost all our staff, we don't have a, the, the, the facilities are not uh, part, or are we going to build something and invest on building something that is going to make us better and stronger after the pandemic? And it all for me started and was very strongly focused on, on the staff because we have a team of people that knew their business really well, knew how to do their job, uh, but they were now confronted with parts of their job completely yes. disappearing. So uh, we made the decision early on, we're going to keep the integrity of our team as long as we yeah. could. We went through the PPP loan process. We, we cut expenses everywhere that we could. We moved people from one department to another to support development, to support the, create, the creation of new initiatives. And we're still in that yeah. process. We're still doing yeah. that. Um, and, but that decision, I think, was, uh, was uh, very, very important for us because without the people, we would not have the programs. And uh, right now we are entering another phase of the pandemic that where it's the, you know, another uh, surge. And uh, we have to revisit that again. We have to look at where, are, how, what have we accomplished so far during the pandemic with the decisions that we've made and how can we sustain the success that we've had so far in keeping our team intact, our con communications and contact with the, our audience, and the messaging uh, on target with well, them. and I, I also just want to say, I mean, I this is this is the sort of my preaching is all about how do I what, what do challenging times make possible, and how do I thrive when we get to the other side of whatever this thing is, whenever that is, and uh, did I actually. Um, did I do some creative things that I wouldn't have otherwise done that I'm, I want to continue to do? And I think that that's, it is those not, it is those nonprofits that really are going to, um, that positioning it as how do I thrive on the other side is absolutely a way to go. And it's also the way to raise money, right? Because otherwise you're just asking people to help you dig out of a ditch because the doors are closed as opposed to we want to go to point B. And isn't that exciting? And don't you want to get on that ride with us? And I, and I, so I think 
um, th- it is this kind of strategy that's going to serve you well as um, as you um, as you start to really look at the sort of revenue diversifying and getting your board more engaged in fundraising. It's there's it's those are only good things, and your staff is incredibly lucky that you um, recognize that having the right people on the bus is um, is really job one. And if you've got those right people, you want to do anything you can to keep them on the bus. Anything else you wanted to add, Roseanne? We're just about out of time. Well, thanks a lot for that. <laughs> um, no, so you have, like three, you have three, three seconds then, Roseanne. Let me, let me tell you mine. No, I, the one thing I would just add is just that, um, you know, the, there is something freeing about COVID time. And that is that you have to think beyond the building. And I think that's been one of the blessings that we have um, is that if we aren't allowed in the building, let's stop being constrained by the building, if you know what I'm saying. Um, Especially given our nonprofit, which serves three counties and is a huge territory, but we're in the middle of a park in Walnut Creek. You know, by closing that that building, we've had to think, okay, well, how do we reach people? Yeah. And if you're not constrained by the building, then all the world is totally. open. And that, that is what I think is the blessing of this time is forcing us to think beyond that building. And that is something we've wanted to do forever. So in some sense, well, I, I'll just say that's a good thing from the pandemic. Not much else is, but it, that is. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a catalyst for, it provided a catalytic moment for you to do the things you actually really wanted to do, is that your footprint is bigger than Walnut Creek. And it needs to be bigger than Walnut Creek, and it has the opportunity to be bigger than Walnut Creek. Um, so I hope that, um, so first of all, Carlos and Roseanne, I really want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for your work out there at Lindsay. And I want to thank you for sharing, uh, some examples of what a strong partnership looks like from the composition matrix to the investment of time up front, um, to generative thinking. I mean, there's so many gems in what you spoke about, um, some of which I've captured in a sort of rewrite of my new book, which is coming out in December. Um, and um, so I wanted to just thank you very much for share, for your work and also for sharing your stories. Thank Thanks you. for having us on. Um, and... Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say, um, yes, I think there um, there have been treasures in the pandemic darkness, and it ha- it is important. I think one of the things Carlos said here is just so critical is you've got to look at this from a place of abundance, and how do you actually paint a picture of your organization that shows it thriving on the other side? Um, everyone wants you to thrive, and they want to help you to thrive. So um, take that, I hope you take that with you along with the other lessons that they have offered. Um, So um, thanks for joining us. Um, And as always, um, I'm so grateful as Carlos and Roseanne are for all the work that nonprofit leaders do. Um, We, I, I am told, I often feel that we have a dearth of leadership in our society, but I don't have to look very far. I can just um, look at people who are running nonprofits and leading in um, board volunteer jobs and say, there are plenty of leaders out there. You just have to be looking in the right places. So thank you for your leadership and thank you for all the good work you do. And I shall see you next time. 
Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.